Okay, let's rapid fire this. So our guest today is Catherine. Oh, we're doing the intro. Should we do a little, we should do a little intro, right? Why don't you start it? Cause I kind of introduced her and she goes by Kat. She signs her emails as Kat. Okay. Emails as Kat Ricketts. So it's, <laughs> that's her. No, I'm just kidding. Our, our guest is uh, today's Kat Ricketts and it is a friend of Allie's. And going into this, um, I only knew about the losses that she experienced. Uh, and I, I knew not much else about her. And she has such a calm demeanor, uh, such a, just seems just like, just, just such a kind soul and very, very warm and welcoming. And yeah, so. An hour with Kat is like, man, anybody will feel soothed after an hour right, with Kat. Right, right. When I first showed up, I was, I was doing something and she said something like, Oh yeah, like take your time, and uh, then just even the way she said that was just so, so calming. Yeah. Well, we're excited to introduce you to Cat, and hope you enjoy. Well, today we have with us Cat Ricketts, uh, and she is a friend of mine through a mutual friend. Um, my friend Hallie Waugh introduced me to Cat. Uh, they went to grad school together for writing, and um, yeah, we're excited to have her with us today, and she's going to be telling us about her stories of loss. Um, she is also a writer, uh, has a book deal, so Kat, tell us a little about yourself. Sure, thank you. Um, so I am a writer of literary nonfiction. I write mostly about the arts grief and joy and Christian spirituality. Um, I live outside of Philadelphia. I've lived in and around Philadelphia for um, about 15 years. I live in New Jersey now and I grew up in New Jersey, so I'm enjoying a lot of um, summer tomatoes and corn and swimming <laughs> in lakes and um, feeling a lot of wonderful summer vibes right now that make me feel like a kid. Mm. Um, which is very powerful, very enriching to my writing life. I feel like any kind of connection to childhood um, is creatively generative for me. Mm. Um, I'm currently working on a book called Mothers and Makers um, that is about artists who are mothers, um, that explores the ways that artistic practice and motherhood are uniquely compatible or at odds, the way that those two vocations um, mutually enrich or conflict with one another. Um, and so it's been a really fun year and a really exhausting year of <laughs> writing. I get to, um, I get to just spend a lot of time researching um, the lives and work of some amazing women painters and writers and dancers, um, both uh, artists who kind of made it in the art institutions and those who um, are friends of mine who are working artists in the Philadelphia area right now. Um, so that writing has been really fun. Um, it's exhausting because I have a one and a three-year-old. Um, so I have these <laughs> just beautiful, um, beautiful boys 
um, who are sources of great joy for me, um, and they're also little bundles of chaos. Um, waking, <laughs> waking in the middle of the night so many times, um, oh, no. and uh, just, yeah, di- changing the total direction of every single day. Um, so those are, those are some of the joys um, and tensions in my life right now. Mm, beautiful. Children are so time consuming and so enriching, so funny. I feel like that three three and under age is just specifically comical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, yep. whether it's something whether it's just like the physical humor of Yes. Like being peed on or, <laughs> yes. uh, or like the ridiculous things that they say. Yes. Right. It is funny. Um, and I, um, one of the things I've been writing about is how I need art made by mothers to help me to see the humor in it so that I just don't feel angry <laughs> about being peed on. But like <laughs> there are some artists that depict the physical comedy of that so wow. beautifully and, um, oh, and, and cool. uh, bring me back to the humor of it. <laughs> I love that. I feel like as children gain uh, verbal skills, it just escalates the comedy. Like as they're able to have their own potty humor, they can laugh and they feel <laughs> on you. <laughs> they know it's happening. Oh, um, well, Kat, would you mind telling us how you came to know grief? Um, when I was 25, I think. Um, my dad was diagnosed with a form of brain cancer called glioblastoma. Um, and he lived with that illness for 22 months. Mm. Those were really intensive months of, uh, caregiving and really beginning to grieve a loss that we knew was inevitable. Mm. Um, his, um, prognosis was kind of vague. His doctor said, I've, I, um, have seen patients that live with this kind of cancer for two weeks and for 20 years. Um, so we don't really know what to expect, but we know, um, that this is, uh, a terminal diagnosis. Um, and that diagnosis really began, I feel like at that point I just started eulogizing him. Like every moment that I spent with him felt, um, felt, uh, like I was kind of looking for um, the beauty in his life and looking to tell that story to myself and to him. Um, mm. And I can't remember. Yeah, I was writing in that time. I was taking some um, kind of post-grad, post-baccalaureate classes in creative writing at that time um, and was writing a lot about his illness. Um, so I came to know grief um through his illness, ultimately through his death, um, which happened at the same time as I was falling in love and marrying my husband. Um, Mm. So that really began for me, like this enduring interest in grief and beauty um, and the ways that those two things, or grief and joy, the ways that those two things um, interact with each other in all of our lives. Um, but which I felt most acutely in that season of about six months, um, when I was meeting and, 
and getting to know my husband and um, we got married um, uh, a month before my dad died. Oh, wow. Um, so really intense and really beautiful. Um, and then two years after that, so I, we had kind of, we had kind of recovered from the intensity of caregiving, um, the way that you kind of stop everything to be with someone who is ill, um, and the immediate, uh, shock of, of grief after that, um, after his, after his death. Um, and so there was a little bit of emotional stability in our lives. And at that point, um, my older brother, who's three years older than me, um, died of a heroin overdose. Um, and that was a, a really different kind of death. Um, a, a young death, a surprising Mm. death, um, a death where there was no time to eulogize in advance. Um, where there was very little to celebrate, um, Mm. and, uh, most of my writing after that, um, consisted of, um, writing towards forgiveness, writing toward forgiving, um, my brother and myself for the ways that our relationship had been strained in his lifetime, Um, seeking to understand my own faith convictions um, after uh, my brother had struggled with substance use disorder for uh, over a decade. And my prayer as a a very devout Christian, my prayer for years had been... um, that God would protect my brother and save my brother from, Mm. um, all the dangers of drug use. And, um, and that prayer did not seem to be answered. Um, and so I had a lot of questions about the, um, the usefulness of prayer. What is the point? Um, yeah. And lots of questions about, um, life after death, um, which were different, um, for my dad than they were for my brother because they had very different um, religious perspectives. Um, so those two really major losses in my immediate family um, were uh, m- were my introduction um, to grief. Of course, we grieve lots of things. I, I grieved a, a sad breakup when I was 22 um, and, sure. and sat yeah. with that. Yep. I suffered that as a significant loss. And I think yeah. I learned a lot about yeah. grief through mm-hmm. that, that, um, that I carried into those later losses. Um, I think there are analogies between all kinds of losses that, that we can carry from one into the other. Um, but yeah, those two losses, which happened when I was 26 and, Twenty-nine. Mm. Um, yeah, it's the big ones. Uh, it's interesting you say that. Uh, I I guess I had kind of the reverse um, experience mm. with the with the breakup after my mom had died, and I can say, even it, even though I had suffered this major loss in my family, this you know objectively quote unquote like. Uh, a lighter loss 
there were times that I cried as hard about that as I did about my mom. And, and it maybe didn't last as long, you know, the time of grieving. I think I'll grieve my mom for the rest of my life, but it, it was heavy. And it kind of just showed me that, yeah, loss is loss in a way. And so, yeah, it's just, it was, yeah, just interesting that you said that. Yeah. Hmm. How did you see your life shift? Um, after your first loss when you lost well besides the breakup which is so tender but when after um after your dad died how did you see your life shift and change in response to grieving it was very clarifying um about how i should then spend my time and energy um Mm. and i think that this would be a different story if that loss hadn't happened at the exact same time as I was beginning um, a marriage. Yeah. Mm. Um, mm. But I have heard, uh, let's see, this came from a, a book that was the most helpful to me, so I'll mention it, um, a book by Gerald Sitzer called, mm, oh no, now I can't remember, but it is about catastrophic loss. Hmm. Um, a grace disguised. Hmm. I'm going to say hmm. this again. If you're going to, are you editing? Are you going to edit this? Uh, I'll do some minor editing. It'll be, uh, a, 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 we, we kind of <laughs> like the candidness of it. Um, Great. Okay. yeah, so th- this might stay in, you know, who knows if it feels good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, you follow your heart in the editorial process, <laughs> but I'll say again, um, a book that was, especially um, helpful to me after my brother died um, was called A Grace Disguised by Gerald Sitzer. And um, it is a book about catastrophic loss. Um, what was help- One insight from that book that was helpful to me had to do with our energy levels in grief. Um, mm. That if typically we operate on eight batteries the analogy goes, um, then mm. when we're grieving, we probably are only operating on about two of the eight batteries that we have. Wow. Yeah. Um, that was really liberating, mm. um, to learn that insight. And before I had even read that book, I think I had that impulse, um, to, to honor what limited energy I did have, sure. um, after my dad died. And, to really um, rein in the scope of my activities and my relationships um, so that in a season of grief, when my energy was diminished, um, I could save my best energy for Austin, my new husband. Um, Mm. And especially because he was entering our family at a really difficult time. Um, uh, I think he and I both just needed each other. We needed each other to be um, as present to each other as possible. Mm. Um, so I, I stopped doing a lot of the things that I had been doing. I was performing as a singer songwriter really regularly around Philadelphia. At that point, I stopped doing that. I was leading, um, a local arts initiative where I was throwing arts events, um, every month and convening the neighborhood around its artists. I stopped doing that. I was leading a morning prayer meeting, um, for people in my neighborhood, I stopped doing that. Like I, I was just kind of living this 
um, intensely extroverted life, which um, really worked for a long time, gave me Mm. a lot of joy and um, fueled my energy. It was this like really lovely cycle. Um, But in grief, um, it became very clear very quickly that trying to do too much made me anxious. And Mm. that kind of anxiety pulled me out of presence to this um, relationship that had become fundamental in my life and that needed to take priority. Yeah. Yeah. How how did you when you withdrew like that um including Austin how how did how did people respond the the people that you were closest to and I mean even maybe not as close to maybe kind of more acquaintances in these like groups that you were in. Yeah, the people that I was closest to, um, I remained in close relationship with. So I really um, kind of identified the people that would um, would nourish me in that time. Um, and I brought them into that. Um, and they, I think, were, yeah, they were great. They were, they were respectful, understanding. Mm. Um, I I actually cannot speak to how the broader community perceived that um, that time, but I can talk about my own perception of sure, their reaction. Sure. Um, and I for uh, for maybe five years afterwards carried around a lot of shame about um, about having um, pulled myself out of those activities mm. and and. Mm. Um, we stopped going to the church that we had been going to and part of that was because we moved. Um, but part of it was because I didn't have the energy for it. I didn't have the energy for acquaintances before. Totally. Um, so I kind of perceived that this line that went through my head really regularly in those years was where's cat? Where did cat go? Mm. Um, probably Nobody was thinking about that. Probably people were thinking, oh, she just like her family just suffered this really big loss. And um, and she's trying to navigate new marriage. And in the wake of that loss, I'm sure she's taking time to herself. Um, I'm I'm sure people were um, understanding if they were thinking about it at all. Um, But as someone who for a long time had really staked my identity in being out and about and um, having like a very active and very integrated um, life in my community, I, um, it was an identity shift for me um, and caused a lot of worry. Mm. Yeah, because that's its own grieving place. Mm-hmm. So true. That's one of the things, you know, all the things that shift and change after you lose someone um, I, f- I feel like I miss my dad, you know, and I will always miss him, but I also miss the version of myself before he left. Mm. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. The things that I had energy for. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I enjoyed them so much. I enjoyed that community so much. Um, and little by little over time, I've been able to layer things back on sure Um, and there's been some some joy in that and a sense of return like a really satisfying sense of return yeah um like i can bring this this new like deepened sense deepened self who has a much more tragic sensibility than i used to have 
Um, yeah. And I feel more kind of deeply connected to reality, um, mm. deep, more deeply connected yeah. to the suffering of others. Yes. Um, I can bring that self into um, the communities that I used to be a part of. Um, and that's been really good. been really um, healing for me and, pro- and I hope nourishing to my communities. Yeah. Uh, there, there was something you mentioned earlier um, about uh, when you realized that your dad's uh, illness was terminal, that mm-hmm. you, you kind of, you said you started eulogizing him and really cherishing uh, those moments with him, the, the ones that you knew were the last. What what did that look like? What did what were the things that you did? Were there like any super cathartic experiences with that? And like what, you know, te- what conversations did you have? I'm so I'm super interested in hearing about that. That's a really that's a, a question that evokes really um, really beautiful memories for me. So thank you for asking yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I sat on the couch in my parents' living room and read Wendell Berry's book, Hannah Coulter, out loud to my dad. And that's um, a, a book about a good marriage. Mm. And, uh, mm. and one of my dad's favorite books. And I loved reading that because it helped me to reflect on my parents' relationship with each other and the way that I was formed as a person Mm. Um, through and in the context of their love for each other and um, that would shape me as a person who was entering a marriage that was very Mm. powerful Um, so kind of eulogizing not only my dad's life and the individual that he was but um, the marriage which would also die um, in some ways when Mm. he died um on my dad's 70th birthday, which was two, uh, about six weeks before he died, um, he was still pretty with it. And um, he was at a rehabilitation facility as an inpatient. Um, and we invited all of our friends and um, like, cousin, you know, his brother, their kids, um, for a birthday party. So there were probably 20 or 25 people gathered in this like family room at the um, rehab hospital. And um, we had everybody in the family go around and uh, share a reflection on my dad's impact in their life. Mm. Um, So that was this incredibly powerful, like living eulogy. Right. um, That, you know, we didn't know at that point that he would die in six weeks. Um, right. but it was, I think a real gift to him and a real gift to everyone that was listening. So you asked about a cathartic moment. Um, oh, super powerful to like hear one of my dad's good friends from when we were growing up. Um, but who we haven't really spent a lot of daily time with regular uh, lately, um, f- to hear his reflection, to hear my dad's brother's reflection, to hear, mm like my best friend from college, her reflection. Wow. Yeah. Um, and he, he was a, um, 
a really beloved person. Um, so that was very special. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it was, it's like, yeah, getting chills hearing you talk about that. It's, uh, yeah, mm. it sounds like it was really mm. powerful. Did you have experiences like that with your mother? So, um, Kat, this is about you. Okay. Yes, but let's, let's, <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm down to have the conversation. Um, so my, my mom had leukemia and there was definitely some hope of her surviving it. Um, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of the catharsis happened, I think, after she died because she had gone into remission twice. Um, and and uh, after she relapsed the second time, um, I think it was uh, a week and two days uh, and, and then she had died. Um, oh man so we were she had she had gone through chemo chemotherapy and was cleared and put into remission and then uh, uh, she relapsed and then they did a bone marrow transfer a transplant and uh, we thought you know, that was it and and we're, we're good to go uh, and then she yeah she relapsed again and uh I, I do remember when when she told me that she had relapsed again. Um, I, I remember where I was. Uh, I mean, at, at least to the best of my knowledge, I know that memory can be yeah. foggy, but uh, I remember being on the street and I was, I was on the sidewalk and um, I got the phone call and uh and i just it it just hit me that that she was gonna die and um mm. i just cried with her on the phone in that moment um and uh and me and my mom we weren't um i'm not much of a caller uh and but i just remember that that um yeah, that whole week we, I think we talked on the phone almost every day and, uh, and just had some really heavy conversations that, um, that I don't know if we ever would have had. Uh, and mm. I remember asking if she was afraid to die and, and, and talking about that. And, um, and so I think that was, uh, probably the most cathartic moment in um in the whole process of her uh, her and having cancer and um uh but uh afterwards it was more the cathartic times for sure yeah mm. yeah thanks for asking mm -hmm. We, um, man, I, I feel like 
eulogy is so powerful. Um, <laughs> we had, my family had a unique experience because my dad, um, we didn't obviously have any like warning. His death was so sudden and unexpected and such a freak accident. But, um, yeah, he, my dad had gone to this conference like the year before he died where one of the activities was to write your eulogy. <laughs> Whoa. Oh my God. Yeah. And we, I mean, it was written, you're supposed to write it in like two minutes and his handwriting is like notoriously bad. <laughs> he's, oh. a, he's a doctor and he's left-handed and just like <laughs> very, very like rough fine motor skills in general. <laughs> oh, like he could never have been a surgeon. So he ended <laughs> up being a psychiatrist anyway. Um, <laughs> but we had this eulogy. I mean, it took like 10 people and maybe 10 hours to translate from his <laughs> scribble into actual <laughs> words. I mean, genuinely like teams of people mm. like, uh, anyway, you hired um, a legal analyst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it felt very forensic, like yeah. trying right. to study. Okay, well, on this section, the R's look like this. But here, this it looks like a T, but I think it's an R, which would make the word this. It was like very, <laughs> it was a whole thing. It, the, we displayed it at the funeral and the whole crowd like erupted in laughter. It was like com that comically bad. Um, but we had this like written eulogy from my dad and um you know it's funny as i'm saying this i can't even remember what it was mm. but i remember like his best friend um delivering the eulogy on his behalf my dad's mm -hmm. behalf and it was like oh, i just remember weeping mm. um and that feeling of like the catharsis of just man kind of being laid bare, but it feels so um, like holy, you know, like where this is, this is pure love, mm. right? Right. Where love, yep. where love gets the chance to endure beyond, uh, beyond what you imagined. And yeah. Mm. Yeah. I'm curious for you, Kat, like, uh, do you ever look back on your writing from that time? Oh yeah, I do. I love reading my writing from that time because it like brings me like really deeply back into the moment. Right. Yeah. Um, right. And you talk about that kind of like uh, the sacredness of moments like that. I, I think of the period surrounding my dad's death as like one of the most graced periods of my whole life. Yeah. Um, I can agree with that. Hmm. That's so interesting. Yeah. It's so interesting to hear you say that, um, even with a surprising and really, I mean, that these are all tragic losses, but kind of a, um, a more absurd kind of loss. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, that, that even that kind of loss can feel, um, mm. graced that I, um, yeah, I reread re that writing and I'm so grateful that I have it. I'm so grateful that I, um, 
that I was taking those writing classes in that time. Mm. And, yeah. um, and, and actually, I began my MFA in writing. Um, my dad died in July, and by the following March, I had begun an MFA. I think that's right. Wow. Maybe... Maybe there was another year in there, um, but it was pretty. No, it was there. Were, it was a year and a half after my dad died, but uh, mm. just like three months before my brother died. So oh, okay. I was um, really deep into thinking about the craft of writing as I was actively grieving, um, mm. which was really intense, but ultimately very, very good for my um, development as a person. Um, development as a writer and um, I think writing inevitably for me whether it was just in a journal or um, with an artistic sensibility um, I think writing would have been the way that I moved through these losses Um, and so I'm really grateful that I was doing that with um, very pointed instruction from really (laughs) gifted yeah um, really gifted instructors um and one of my graduate school uh, mentors is also an episcopal priest and um not only had the uh not only had the writerly sensibility but also um a a pastoral sensibility that that guided me through that time as well Mm. oh what a gift to have a mentor who can attend to your your spirit as well as your artist mm-hmm. when you know how can you separate those two but it is distinct yeah I think and that writing like I'm a writer too so I I find that uh there's such a uh, sense of rest in the like logic of writing in terms <laughs> of there's structure and rules but also resonant beauty in finding how to put the words together in a way that just sings. Mm. And there's a, there's like resonance there that, um, you know, I think if you're not able to get whatever thought it is out in a way that makes sense, not just to you, but to someone who reads it. Uh, yeah. I think that's a specific grace and gift because, um, not that I think we lose for a reason. I think loss is very inevitable given our biological makeup <laughs> mm-hmm. and our self-limiting bodies. But um, uh, that's a whole other conversation, I suppose. But um, I think there is a lot to be said about what we can um, redeem in our stories. And I think writing really does that in a way that... Uh, other outlets really can't, you know? Yeah, I think ultimately um, this question that you've just raised about, like, where do we find meaning Hmm. in loss? Is it in interpreting why something has happened and being able to explain, like, right? oh, you know, God willed it or the stars aligned in just such a way or, Hmm. um, you know, the person behaved in a certain way that would lead to their death or... Right, yeah. um, yeah, I think that kind of explanation is really unhelpful, yeah. um, as you've just articulated. Um, but I 
do think that there's meaning to be found on the other side of it. And for me, that meaning has primarily come to me through the relationships that like people who have, att- mm-hmm. have attended me in my loss. Um, I think of the friends who came to my apartment while I was uh, with my family the week my brother died. Mm. Um, they came to my apartment and they cleaned the entire thing, like dusted the baseboards, did the laundry, folded the laundry, filled my kit, filled my refrigerator, filled my pantry, put flowers on the table, put tissue boxes in every room, put like lavender soap in the bathroom, like just prepared a space for me to come home and grieve in, um, that to me is the presence of God. Mm. Um, that to me is where I find uh, some sort of way forward mm. um, yeah. in life, knowing that when the worst thing I can imagine happens, um, there are people to sit with me in that. Right. Um, and, and who do that in really beautiful, um, sensitive ways. So back to what you're saying, Allie, about writing, um, I think writing is one of the ways that we can come beside each other in our loss. Yeah. Um, mm. reading the test, reading the stories of other people who have experienced grief is for me like that kind of company. Um, and so as I write about my loss, I hope that I can be, um, that kind of presence to others. And this podcast is something like that too. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is like unedited writing, stream of conscious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. oh, I love it. I uh, I read a memoir uh, called uh, Lament for a Son. Yeah, yeah. By Nicholas Alonso. It starts with the. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, and that book was in my purse for a year and a half, like a best friend. Mm. Yeah. And he actually gave me the language that I use for this, which is that. Um, we need people to come beside us on the morning bench. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. And ultimately, um, for me, the Christian story is um, is meaningful, even in the face of really absurd loss, um, because uh, because Jesus uh, is God become a person to experience our suffering and to sit with us on the morning bench. Mm. Um, That uh, there are a lot of things about Christianity that are still extremely confusing to me, um, Mm. especially in the aftermath of loss. Um, But that's one of the things that just feels very, um, very clear and, um, and, and gives me a lot of comfort and hope. Mm. That's lovely. That's lovely. I, uh, man, I think Daniel and I have had similarly parallel experiences in our response to our upbringing and our religion after loss. And, um, you know, it's, it's always encouraging to hear like how it lands for different people in terms of like what, how they're, um, 
religion or how their perspective shifts and shifts and changes and what new doubts come and you know right you know in some cases what seems more certain and yeah i you know my my own personal um spiritual journey is very much like uh (laughs) i describe it as like practicing agnosticism where Mm -hmm. i still really value the community and the comfort of being with a church body and singing and um being in that space but feeling a lot of uncertainty about what it means for there to be a god and what does that look like but i it is such a comforting idea of um like Jesus, like the God, the, the human God figure being someone who's near and, and you know, with you in suffering. Yeah. Hmm. Thank you for that. Uh, um, Kat, can we, um, can we go into talking a, a little bit about your brother? If you feel good about mm-hmm. that and, yeah. It, what what your relationship was like? I'm wondering. Also, do you have any other siblings? Or? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So I have a younger brother um, who lives in Philadelphia. Um, he's a, a visual artist and um, just like generally an insanely creative person mm. who constantly is is doing uh, projects in different mediums. Um, were your were your parents also creative? Or, or is your mother still? Yeah, so um, there is definitely a creative spirit in both of my parents, um, though neither of them was a practicing artist. Okay, gotcha. Um, so my dad ran an advertising company. He was the creative director of an advertising company that he and his brother founded. Um, so, And he wrote a lot, um, uh, but never... Uh, like published a book or um, Mm. anything like that. Um, And yeah, my mom, my mom is a studied art history and, um, and definitely has an artistic mind. um, But her profession is a a labor and delivery nurse. Okay. Hmm. Um, Yeah. So my younger brother um, is an artist in Philadelphia. He's three years younger than me. And then uh, my late older brother is his name is Joe. Um, he was also an artist in Philadelphia. Um, he was an electronic musician and producer, mm. um, and made uh, most of yeah most of his adult life was making music and playing it to for people to dance to. Um, so big in the nightlife scene in Philly mm. um, and mm. in New York for a few years too. Okay. Mm, wow. Um, and you asked about my relationship with my older brother. So um, Joe and I, ha- it was the most difficult relationship in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I would say I think sibling relationships can often be that way because we expect that they should be good. Mm-hmm. And so anything difficult about yeah. them feels yes. pronounced. Yep. Yeah. Um, but I think our relationship is especially difficult because of this third piece, which is... Um, his substance use. Um, He began using drugs when he was 12, to my knowledge. Um, And I was nine. Um, And throughout our adolescence, um, 
I kind of caught glimpses. You know, I was a young, I was nine years old. I was uh, probably too young at the beginning to really understand. Sure. Um, but I had yeah. these glimpses of like, once we were on a school bus coming home and I remember him just being really out of it. Mm. Um, mm. And then later that night he was admitted to a hospital and like had his stomach pumped. Oh, um, I think he was in ninth grade and I was in sixth grade. Okay. Um, and throughout our adolescence, I think I kind of tried to move toward him and connect because that's my wiring. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And partly probably from personality, partly probably from being a teenage boy, um, and <laughs> partly probably um, from the way that drug use isolates a person. Mm-hmm. Um, I would move toward and he would move away. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. And through writing about that, what I came to see was that that was a way of protecting me from his use. Um, I think often those who struggle with addiction um, hide it from the people that they love because they don't want to hurt the people that they love. Um, And so he did a lot of hiding. Um, But there were really beautiful moments, particularly um, later on. So when we were in our 20s, um, there were moments of like deep connection Um, and definitely surrounding my dad's caregiving. Mm. We were both, we both kind of dropped everything, stopped doing what we had been doing, um, moved home and participated in caregiving. Um, And there were just good conversations um, and transparency Mm. in that season, Um, although not total transparency about his drug use. And so it did really come Mm. as a surprise um, when, when ultimately um, he was using heroin and, and it killed him. Mm. Mm. And um, can you remind me how, how long after um, did your brother die? Yeah, it was two years. Um, so my dad died in July of 2014 and my brother died in June of 2016. Um, wow. And I, th- I think that the, I think that losing my dad, um, was a much heavier experience for my brother than it was for me. Mm. Mm. Um, his, uh, I think we uh, entered into that season with very different worldviews. And um, for him, death is uh, an end and an opening into a void. Sure. Mm. Um, and for me, death was an opening into eternal life mm. with God. Um, and so for me, there was a lot of hopefulness and for him, there was despair, um, and that kind of despair and, and just like watching your father's body decline is a really, um, really dark thing. So, um, I believe it was in the season of caregiving that Joe began using heroin Mm -hmm. again. He had used, um, intermittently earlier on and, um, and had become clean from it, began using again in that season of caregiving, um, which makes a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah, it's, it is a really, a really dark time and, um, heroin is uh, a way to escape that. Yeah. Right. Right. I, I've heard, uh, it described as, um, like a warm hug that, that, yeah. that heroin is, has been described as that. 
Yep. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, the more that I um, read about heroin use, the easier it was to understand. Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, For sure. Yeah. Um, guys, I just want to let you know that I might be, my phone may die here soon. Oh, no. okay. So I just I just wanted to Oh okay, okay. I think I should be okay for a little bit longer. Okay. Okay. Um cool. but yeah, so that 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 leads me to ask, um how did how did you and, and your younger brother what, what hmm. was was there tension there between you or did it bring you closer or mixture or it definitely brought us closer. I think because these two losses in a family of five happened in such quick succession, my mom and my brother, my little brother and I had this sense of like, all right, this is it. This is who's yeah. left. Also right. this sense right. of who's next. Yes. Um, oh my yeah. God. You're right. Right. Yeah. Um, which I think is common. Um, uh, I, I'm, you know, I imagined my own death so frequently the mm. summer after my brother died. And mm. a therapist um, explained how normal that is and how um, when we lose a parent, we perceive that the boundary or the barrier between us and death has dissolved um, because we mm. expect that our parents will die before us. Sure. Right? Yeah. Um, and so it makes sense that if you lose a parent, you might begin to imagine your own death. But if you lose a sibling as well, then like you're even you're like way closer. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Yep. So that was very helpful in normalizing my neuroses. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. And and that um, uh, I don't imagine my own death very often anymore. Um, although as a mother, I probably fear it more than I used to. Mm before yeah, I had sure. children, just the sense that like, it really matters if I stay alive. <laughs> right. Oh my, yeah. yes. Oh yeah. my so, God. Yes, it does. So much. Yeah. Oh my God. Different, uh, different seasons that, that bring us up against that fear. Mm. Um, but what was I saying? Imagining my own death. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, my relationship with yeah, my brother. Yeah. yeah. My, my little brother and my mom and I, I think had this sense of, um, of who's next, yeah. uh, which we don't feel anymore, thankfully. Um, but my, yeah, I, um, I have so much regret about, um, the ways that I did not connect with Joe during his lifetime. Mm. Um, and I can talk myself out of that regret by saying like, I tried, it wasn't received. Mm. I couldn't have tried more or might've pushed him away more. Yeah. Um, right. and, uh, I have some degree of peace about that. Um, sure. But with my brother who's living, like, I want to choose to go to his shows and um, and to call him and yeah. um, and to know him, to really know him. I think I had this sense when Joe died that there was so much that I missed. Um, there was such uh, such a, a joy and a beauty in getting to hear eulogies from his friends who knew him in different ways than I did and yeah, to feel like, wow. oh my gosh, I'm getting to know this person who didn't really let me in mm. um, yeah. in the ways that he let his friends in and, and what a gift. Um, but I can I can do that um, on my own with my little brother now and to get to know his friends is a gift. Um, when I, he just, he just produced a record um, for this 
incredibly talented musician named Suzanne Shear. Um, and they had an opening at this like super swanky hotel in oh, Philly, wow. in this rooftop pool situation. Oh, baby. I, I was, <laughs> That's it was awesome. So special to um, to see him in his element with yeah. his community, um, celebrating this really wonderful achievement in his life. Um, and and uh, I'm so glad I remembered this because this is a moment recently where um, grief for my brother Joe has resurfaced. I, it, it, it doesn't feel um, as present to me as usual or as it did lately. Um, but in June, when I went to this release party, um, a few of Joe's friends had come to support my younger brother mm. um, in this achievement. And... Mm. Um, and I just so felt Joe's presence with us that yeah. night as I was catching up mm. with his friends. Wow. Um, it was very, very powerful. I got to sit on a chaise lounge looking at the <laughs> Philadelphia sky. It was like the blue hour. Um, oh, just this beautiful night. And I, it was a listening party. We, we spent an hour listening to the uh, record. Cool. Um, okay. Wow. People were dancing at the bar inside and I just went outside and... Um, and felt really like I was communing with Joe in celebrating Chris and his work. Mm. Yeah. That's so sweet. That's really cool. Mm. Yeah, when you when you said um, when you said that you felt this huge sense of wanting to connect with Chris more mm -hmm. and and be there for him after going through this loss of Joe. Uh, yeah, I I've totally experienced this uh priority shift in, in mm. my own life and and i just yeah have this longing to call more and talk more and be in my hometown more and mm. and because yeah one of one of my biggest regrets was not being here a lot during my mom's sickness and and my grandma actually died of the the same cancer and mm. um as soon as i heard that she got it i i was here and i stayed until until she died and it just shifted my whole brain around what's important or, or yeah. what what feels important to me yeah hmm. and, yeah yeah yeah, grief grief is so clarifying. Right, right. It is in that way. Yeah, right. And it's good. It's really good to hear you say that because we uh, we now I mentioned to you we moved out of Philadelphia. We my husband and children and I we now live um, in a suburban town that feels pretty isolated from the kind of cultural center of my life, which is the city. Um, but we live a block and a half from my in-laws and they get to spend um at least three or four days a week with my kids mm, man and yes. wow um and that comes at a cost like i feel pretty lonely here yeah. um but I, it's it's a gift to have this conversation with you all today and to remember um to remember that that this is a really really good thing for all of us Mm. Um, yes. And that when I look back on my life, I will probably um, really treasure that this was that we prioritized proximity to family. Mm -hmm. 
right mm. yes yeah. that gave me uh my whole body yeah. chills yeah mm. right mm. yeah yeah like like ali said earlier and you were saying that death is very clarifying it i mean it was just immediate how much i realized i loved my mom and mm. just yeah. how much i love my family and my friends around me and yeah 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 just i think there's also something really powerful about being with people who knew your mother or who knew uh -huh. my brother yes um like and this is probably why i didn't have the energy for acquaintances in this season right after the loss um i wanted to be with people that i didn't have to explain mm. yes. this person yes. to yeah um and particularly mm. with my brother like i wanted to be with those friends that knew me when i was 14 and trying to make sense of my brother in rehab <laughs> oh yeah. god right right right, um, right and who it's so strange now i have i'm gonna cry saying this i have dreams really regularly that my guy friends from high school that i'm not even in touch with anymore um that i that i tell them that my brother died and they just give me a big hug mm. <laughs> that's so sweet and wow yeah there, i think there's something really powerful about um yeah about those friends who have known us for that long yeah. who knew the ones that we lost and, yep um yep it's powerful i i remember my friend john um in high school in I was in the bathroom at my house after, or at my, my parents' house after my mom had died. And I walked out of the bathroom and I guess he had come into the house while I was in there and he was standing in the kitchen and we didn't say a word. And I just started sobbing and he, he hugged me and we just, he just let me cry. We did not have to talk. We didn't have to say anything. We both knew just what what was being felt there. And yeah, you're so right. Totally. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's so powerful. Yeah. Mm. Well, Kat, as we start to round out our time together, I'm curious if there's, I mean, I know the answer to this question is yes, but if anything specific about your experience experience of grief that we haven't touched on um i know we can't cover your an entire uh grief story in one hour but um what about your story lingers that you'd like to share um having small children has distanced me from my grief in its most acute sense um, mm. because my, the needs of my children are so immediate. Um, mm. yeah, like, so like the baby needs to be fed now or he will lose his mind crying. <laughs> the yes. toddler needs to be fed now or he will lose his mind crying. <laughs> um, like there's, there's just such an immediacy, um, to my responsibilities right now. Um, you know, not to mention the, the job and the creative project and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So I don't feel, 
you know, I don't, I don't think of my dad and my brother every single day, mm. um, mm. which is, you know, it's so strange to say that um, because for so long, I thought about them all day long. Yeah. Um, but any moment that I do return to that grief actually feels like a gift. Mm. Yeah. Um, because it feels like a, a presence. Like I get to spend, like if I have a dream about my dad, um, yeah. or if, like I, I mentioned that moment of really f- sensing Joe with me as I was celebrating my brother's record. Um, yeah, those, those feel like such gifts and they're, I still feel sad, um, in those moments, but it's like a, it, it's a really welcome kind of sadness. Um, yeah. probably because it, it just affirms one of the things that's deepest about me, which is that I've lost two of the people that I care about most, um, in the universe and, mm. um, and that grief is always, grief is always with me. So when those moments yeah. surface, it feels like I've tapped into something really deep and true about myself. Yeah. Um, and like this conversation, it, it, it reorients me again to what matters. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. When do you, you know, if you're not, um, I'm still, I feel like in a pretty acute phase of loss where I think of dad every day. So I'm curious, but, but even for myself, there's like specific things that kind of happen that make me think, oh, dad would love this or, mm-hmm. oh, that reminds me of dad or I wish I could this or, you know, send him, send him a picture of this weird sign I saw or, you know, whatever <laughs> it is, like <laughs> what what tends to spark that memory for you of grief? Mm-hmm. Um, things that my toddler does yeah. that I can just hear the way my dad would respond to it. Oh, mm. whoa. Wow. Like I can, yeah, I can hear his voice mm. and the way that he was with children and, and how he would have um, just, you know, my my kids would be the apple of his eye. Um, yeah. Right. So I can hear his voice and his response right. to them. Um, I have a lot of moments where I wish that my dad was present to be a friend and mentor to my husband. They really only mm. knew each other um, for like six months, but, you know, half of that time was my dad wasn't uh, super sharp. Um, right. So I feel it in moments where... Um, yeah, I just wish that he could be present uh, to my husband and they could know each other deeply. Um, I feel it uh, with my, this is so weird, but um, my babies looked like my dad. Wow. Or there was some, there was like something about my like infant babies that, reminded me so much of my dad mm. um, yeah and I will leave you with this bit of magic um, <laughs> my first child was born two weeks past his due date on my dad's birthday Aww. and my wow. second child um, his due date was my brother's birthday Wow though he wasn't born on that date whoa, whoa. so that mm-hmm. those are um, yeah, just little bits of, of magic that helped me to sense yeah. um, that those two men are, are with me in this next chapter. Yeah. Hmm. Man. Uh, what a kind.
kind like way that time <laughs> can memorialize and have like flagstones that point to our connection to each other. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Through distance and physical proximity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It almost feels just kind of this full it's like circle. A little. A full, yeah. <laughs> circle of Magic life. Magic is the right word. I love it. Yeah. It does. Like, I see little bits of stardust around me when I tell that story. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's one of those things that, like, I probably wouldn't write about that because I think it's more meaningful to me than it would be to a reader. It's kind of like, oh, cool coincidence. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. I'm but curious like, why you think other readers wouldn't think that was interesting. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like that's just something that people could chalk up to coincidence, and um, and it's okay with me if they do. Yeah. It's, I mean, I'm sure they they have their own coincidences that they hold dear. I I yeah. don't I. I'm not a super spiritual person, but, and we can say coincidentally, but my, <laughs> my nephew, uh, was born on the anniversary of my mom's death mm-hmm. and wow. just, I, you know, I don't know what goes on in the universe, but stuff like that is, it's so wild. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, like, I think specifically with labor and birth, you know, our bodies as they prepare to deliver these bodies into being um, and into into the air uh, from our bodies, you know, the muscles and sphincters that hold the baby in are really responsive to our emotions sure to our environment and i think there's a lot to be said about a baby that's two weeks late that comes on your dad's birthday right <laughs> that like your body, like, like you your body begged you it's like your body begged you to let this baby come on a day mm-hmm. that would be right more meaningful than any other day of the year around mm-hmm. that time right mm-hmm. like Absolutely. i think coincidence yes but I think our bodies, our bodies can be dumb and our bodies can be smart. Right. Yeah. Yes. yes. And I don't know. Thank you, body. Yeah. Right. right? Yes. Let's <laughs> all give our bodies my, a pat. My baby, <laughs> my baby was born, Galen was born uh, the day after Father's Day. Wow. And I went into labor on Father's Day. Wow. And I remember, yeah, yeah I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting how that all happens. Yeah. Hmm. Like you said, cat, well, just a little bit stardust floating around. Yeah. <laughs> it is very yeah. sparkly. It, it yeah. feels very, I think it's very hopeful and very optimistic when we can find like moments like that that feel bigger than they maybe are. And I think that's, mm-hmm. you know, right. totally fine. Yeah. I think I, I believe in the magic. <laughs> I do too. I do too. <laughs> well, it's been really lovely to sit with you and I'm really grateful for your generosity and your candor and um, just uh, the stillness you sat with us in and um, some very sweet and sad memories. And yeah, thank you for sharing your story with us. 
Yeah, thank you so much, Kat. Yeah. yeah, it's so good to get to know you guys better. And now I'm going <laughs> to interview you next. So <laughs> Sounds great. You all can sign up for my podcast when I create it because I would I like to get to know these stories more. Cannot wait for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, all right. Well, we'll sign off. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kat. Bye, Kat. Bye. Was there anything that stuck out to you about this one? I mean, Kat's just such a kind and generous and soothing person. And um, to come out of two catastrophic losses with such grace um, and what appears to be ease. (laughs) Yeah, right. I think is just really like something special to witness and um yeah i feel really really thankful for her time and i i think um you know the the elasticity of her faith was really um lovely to me even though it's mm. not something i 100% relate with right right uh you know i think that's really um i'm always very curious to talk to people who did not like lose or radically change their faith concept after death sure. or after a loss totally yeah i what about you yeah i mean i i have a lot of respect for people who can get through it um you know i i feel like in my own uh, uh in my own life i've seen people lean on it in unhealthy ways um Hmm. but i've also seen people uh lean on it in in healthy ways and yeah she seemed very grounded it did not seem like an instance where like a person tries to rationalize by over spiritualizing something right whereas like she's very grounded in the fact that um that this loss is suffering right even though she has hope right right and I, I think when we were talking about that, the thing that stuck out to me the most was uh, she said there were a lot of things um, about Christianity or, or maybe said Jesus um, that were still c- very confusing to her uh, yeah. after all of She's this. She's balancing. Uh, right, right. And she, yeah. she understands that her all of her questions may not be answered. and. Right. And yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I just thought that yeah. that was really mature. Uh, it felt like she was very mature in her, yeah. in her Christian belief. Yeah. Yeah. Just very grounded. And yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I hope you all who are listening, if you've made it this far, heaven bless you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we thank you for joining us and. Hope to be with you again. Yes. Cheers. Cheers, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers <Okay>. and tears. <laughs> okay. Cool. If you would like to connect with Catherine Ricketts, you can find her on Instagram at 
by Katherine Ricketts. We tag her in the posts related to this episode and keep an eye out for her because she has a book on motherhood and artistic practice forthcoming in early 2024. 